Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is returning guest, runner and coach Nick Klastava. Nick has been on the podcast before to talk about base building, to talk about how to fix your relationship with quote unquote, the numbers. And this week he is back to have a conversation with me about a lot of things, but primarily how to stop comparing yourself to other runners, how to stop comparing yourself to other versions of yourself, why you shouldn't copy what other people are doing, and generally lessons that we can all learn that will help us be, let's say more fulfilled and satisfied with this journey that we're on. Nick, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to be here. So quickly reintroduce yourself to those listeners who have not listened to your previous appearances, which are excellent and you should listen to them next, but hi, who are you? <laughs> hi, I'm, I'm Nick Lestava. Uh, I have been running for 26 years. I ran in high school and college, took about eight years off, came back to running in my 30s and you know, struggled through lots of things, you know, comparing to myself, comparing to other versions of myself, and then sort of falling in love and balance again with running and became a running coach in 2018. I coach now for Lift, Run, Perform, and uh, just enjoying the journey, enjoying now being a master's runner and chasing uh, new goals. That's, I aged up into that category, gonna be competitive in the master's category. <laughs> <laughs> And for our for those listeners who have not listened to our previous conversations, we previously talked about base building and the importance of base building. We've also talked about the importance of understanding if your relationship with quote unquote the numbers when it comes to running is healthy. I think those episodes have been really helpful for a lot of people. But today we are going to be talking about a topic which is kind of like hard to define or hard to really pin down and do a snappy soundbite as you and I were discussing how we wanted to approach this episode, but really talking about things that you know every runner should know and kind of common pitfalls or traps that runners often fall into when we are chasing goals and seeing what other runners are doing and the knowledge that they are communicating. So let's start, and I, I wanted to maybe ask you, like, why, why is this conversation an important one to have? Yeah, I, I think it's important because a lot of people, I think, struggle with, you know, comparison, right? In comparison to others and either older versions of themselves and like not accepting sort of their journey for where they're at, right? And so if their journey is a new runner, it's comparing to people around them, right? Anyone who's running with them or they know or has run a time they want to run, it's just, well, that person does this and I need to do that. And ignoring their entire life, right? They may be a parent, the other person may be, you know, in their 20s, just, you know, in different spots, nothing wrong in their 20s, but like in different spots in their life, right? And so, you know, I, I think what happens too often is we just tend to take a lot of the noise, a lot of the things that don't matter and hyper focus on them because they look more important. They look, you know, it's more exciting to run workouts as fast as humanly possible every, every single time 
than it is to just grind out and do, you know, constant runs at the right pace or the right effort and feel good doing them, right? And so I think a lot of the pitfalls come from, you know, our constant need to be where we want to go as fast as possible, right? And so not enjoying the journey because, you know, for most people, the journey is just, okay, well, that's the boring stuff. Once I get this number, I'll be satisfied. Only you won't because the second you get that number, you'll instantly want a new number and then be unsatisfied again. That's a huge one. That, well, as soon as I achieve this goal or as soon as I run this pace, everything will change and I'll be magically pleased. Uh, I, I remember for me, the longest time I would call eight minute pace my white whale pace, like the pace I could never quite seem to hit, except that the first time I struggled with my white whale pace was in a 5K. And the next time I struggled with my white whale pace was in a half marathon. And the third time I struggled with my five, but that eight minute pace, my white little pace, it was in a marathon. But so it was like, I was still hungry for and angry with this pace. And I was so blinded to the fact that I was essentially turning what had been a struggle at my 5k effort into what was now a struggle at my marathon effort, which I think objectively we all can understand like, uh, hello, like, are you not celebrating the wins there? But I think so often I, I illustrate the story to, I say this story to illustrate the fact that it's so easy to become blind to these, this larger, you know, the things that we are actually accomplishing when we are so hyper-focused on, like you said, we're hyper-focused on something that doesn't really matter at the expense of the things that do. And I was blind to the things that I had achieved and that were important. And instead I was just furious at myself that I couldn't manage to hit this one very specific pace. And it really ruined a bunch of races for me. And I, I regret that, that sucks. Yeah, it, and like, you know, racing's supposed to be fun, right? In the end, we, we do all this training. Training is the test. Racing is the celebration. Too often we don't celebrate because our only definition of a race is what some arbitrary clock says on some random road or, you know, the fact that we ran a PR, right? The, the only goal is to PR every time. And if that's our goal every time, as you run more and more, it becomes more and more impossible. You know, professionals might PR once a year and they're racing 20 times a year, you know, so... If that is the only goal you have, I think sometimes it's sort of figuring out, okay, you can have time goals, you can have big challenges that motivates you, that's fine. But what can you have along the way to keep you motivated and having fun and enjoying this and right? And to your point, like, you know, how do you notice those things that you're accomplishing along the way, that growth, right? Because if it's just eight minute pace, and it's always a round number, of course, but if it's just eight minute pace, it's, okay, well, now I'm doing it at 5K, and then you do it at 10K, and you don't even acknowledge the fact that, well, I did it at 5K, that's great, I should take time to celebrate, right? Instead, it's, well, next pace, next pace. You know, we don't ever celebrate our growth because we're too constantly caught up in what's next, where are we going, how are we getting better, what's so-and-so doing, you know, I have to get as quick as them, or, and so, yeah, I think it is important to take time all the time in your journey, even right now, just stop and think of a time when you started running and you didn't know what you're doing and you showed up to a group run or a random run and, you know, now where you are, and that's amazing. Take time to celebrate those things. I want to talk about paces, because this is something when it comes to what every runner needs to know <laughs> is every runner needs to know that paces are relative. And this is something that I have seen runners struggle with time and time again, because I just mentioned eight minute pace being my white whale pace, right? And I, for a lot of people, 
they're going to look at me and say, oh my God, you can run almost eight minute pace in a marathon. That's crazy. Oh my God, you're super fast. And then a bunch of other people are going to go, eight minutes? That's my recovery pace. Like, I don't know, try to get faster. Like both of (laughs) it's all in like the perspective, right? And so often we attach these like meanings to specific paces because when a, a very competitive, like a sub three marathoner or a 230 marathoner runs a specific pace, that's gonna be an entirely different situation from somebody who is maybe a four and a half or a five hour marathoner running that specific pace. And yet oftentimes we treat those paces as being the same thing. How can runners break free of that and understand that paces don't mean anything when they're applied to different people? if I'm like phrasing this correctly. <laughs> yeah, you are. And, you know, I think, you know, the first thing that happens, right, and I see it a lot, like, you know, well, someone's like, oh, well, so-and-so talks about running, you know, seven-minute pace and an easy pace, and that's ridiculous. And I, you know, I do 11. And that, like, neither one is ridiculous, right? Like, that person may have been running 11-minute pace at some point, and now they run seven. I, to most people, I don't think anyone's necessarily bragging about, you know, how fast they run their easy days as much as this is just where I'm at at this moment, right? And so, you know, again, the general idea of fitness is to run where you're at, not where you want to be, right? So too much of race pace and training is detrimental. And if you have a goal and you think you just run it all the time, you're wrong. And so, you know, when it comes to whatever paces you need, it's really about effort too right it's being comfortable and and so learning that above anything else above what some calculator may tell you above what some watch may tell you running at the effort that feels good changes sometimes my easy paces vary by a minute and a half some days i'm just really tired some days i'm just dragging and that's okay i'm not looking at my watch and going oh no my easy pace is supposed to be you know eight minutes but today it's 8:45, so i'm gonna pick it up like i just go cool I'm out here and I'm enjoying it and I'm I'm doing something that's progressing me. And a lot of paces, it's not just easy paces, a lot of paces are really arranged more than their exact number. I think marathon pace constantly gets abused as, okay, well, it's, I want to run seven minute pace and I'm going to run seven minute pace in every long run at some point, maybe, maybe I'll break it out and do six miles at seven minute pace. But if it's, if it's 704, I, no way I can do it on the race day. And if it's 658, cool. You know, but like it's that number and it's not treated as, you know, an effort range, right? You know, a lot of times calculators say 75 to 90% is a good marathon pace effort, right? That that means the number is very different, like, and it can range on a run. It doesn't mean this idea that you have to just learn this number, like our body learns like some metronome, seven minute pace, because we run it all the time. And then a race day, it just turns it on. Like, it's really you know, when you disassociate the numbers and really focus on the effort and focus on what pace makes sense for me based on the current situation of my life, the environment around me and the workout I'm doing, right? And the more we can trust that if you, you know, really hone into that, the better off you'll do. And a good example for me is a lot of times when I do workouts, I get you know, a lot of time-based workouts. So a typical workout for me might be 15 minutes warm up to eight times, two minutes on, two minutes off at 5K effort and 15 minute cool down. And my coach doesn't give me paces. And so when I do this workout, 15 minutes goes off my watch and I look down and go, okay. And I start running hard for two minutes. I don't split it. I don't like lap it. I don't do any of that stuff. I run hard for two minutes. 
And then when I'm done, I jog hard for two minutes. I do that seven more times and then I cool down. So at the end of my run, it's like, you know, that's like a 62 minute run. It tells me the overall pace. I don't know what I ran those two minute intervals at, but I know my coach said to run them at 5K effort. So when I ran, I ran them at 5K effort. When I finished, I felt like I could do one more rep and that felt like the right effort for that day. And so, you know, really that's taught me a lot about running. You know, it's hard to do because we need numbers sometimes for validation. And I, you know, I do it a lot of times, but sometimes I need numbers. But for the most part, it feels, helps me feel good to disassociate paces and to just run. How do you help runners? And I'll talk about how I do this too, but how do you help your runners who are writing those kind of anxious notes in final surge or training peaks about, you know, I wasn't quite sure what pace I was supposed to be running. And then like the second lap was a little bit slower, but it was uphill. And oh, by the way, I didn't really sleep last night. Do you think it means I'm losing fitness? <laughs> and then we say, hold up. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Um, and we all, and so, you know, even athletes who do it, like there's times I feel that way too, right? We all have coaches, we all have people in our lives, like, like to support us, like as much as I've gotten better with my mindset, there's still times I freak out and go, uh-oh. And so, you know, I, sometimes catch myself and sometimes my coach reminds me, but you know, for my athletes, it's like, you know, reminding them that, you know, a singular workout isn't the, the end all be all right. And so, you know, there was a great graph going on the internet and it was showed about like, you know, how workouts and like, I think it was Steve Magnus and it had like, you know, good, bad and average workouts for, and he had his pulled his athletes. And so, you know, this poll was like 1100 runs and like 1000, 1080 were like average. And like the other 20 were scattered between high and low. Don't quote me on these numbers, but um, you know, it, it goes to show that like average workouts, B workouts, B quality workouts are the bread and butter of running. Right. If you have all, if you're shooting for all awesome workouts, you're gonna be disappointed, and also you're probably gonna burn out and break down because you know that means you're probably working too hard. And if you, they're all terrible workouts, uh, well, you know, reevaluate. Maybe your paces are too high or something's going on. But in reality, just average workouts, that's the key. And so when you do a workout and you run up a hill, yeah, your pace is gonna be slower. That's okay, right? You, the race is going to have a hill, most likely, unless you're doing a down-the-hill mountain race. Um, so, you know, you really want to just accept that on that day, did you do your best, right? That's the question I always ask my athletes. I'm like, did you feel like you did your best that day? Did you feel like you executed to the most of your ability? And they always say, yeah, you know, when I was done, I, I put out the effort I could. And then I said, then you did it right today. You know, you won the workout. It doesn't mean it's the best workout you've ever done in your life, but it's a quality workout in the bank. Right. And so if you finish the workout and they say, I didn't feel like I gave my all effort out, well, then that's a conversation. But rarely do I find a work a runner who says, OK, I finished this workout, uh, you know, I, I, you know, and I didn't try at all. Like we always try. It just may not. The numbers aren't are trying. Right. And so talking athletes through that to help them realize in the big picture, this is another win. It's not a loss. It's not a fail. You know, don't. And the key is I try and catch athletes really early, right? So I look for keywords. And, you know, when you get to know your athletes, you know what is their sayings that when they're bothered and what they're saying when they're fine. And, you know, you, you kind of hone in and you, when I need to check in, because the quicker you check in, the, help, the quicker you can help spiral, uh, catch a spiral. Because one workout that's average, but they think is bad. And then a second one, and all of a sudden it's all of my fitness is gone. And my goals are gone. I'm lost, right? And then, it, you know, it always coincides with the taper or it really always coincides with something in their life, right? And so, you know, helping catch people early 
before they start spiraling is so important because then you can really get them, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, I'm gonna look forward to the next one and I'm gonna keep putting out my best effort. It is a truth universally acknowledged that if you're at a cocktail party and you tell somebody that you're a runner, they're gonna tell you, running's bad for your knees, didn't you know that? Well, actually, running's pretty good for your knees. Running's pretty good for your joint health in general, but that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of wear and tear involved. And sometimes our joints need a little extra love. I've been taking Prevenex's Joint Health Plus supplements for about two months now, and I gotta say, I'm pretty impressed. Now, it's not a magic bullet. You can't do everything wrong and then expect a supplement to fix it. But having this clinically tested pharmaceutical grade supplement in my arsenal has been something that I'm really glad that I've done. I hope to run well into my golden years and beyond and keeping my joints happy and healthy are definitely part of that strategy. And now you can try Prevenex for yourself and see if you feel the difference. Save 15% off your first order on Prevenex.com using code RUNEXP. That's code R-U-N-E-X-P on any order on Prevenex.com, there's a 100% money back guarantee. So if you try it and don't like it, there's absolutely no risk to you. Check out Joint Health Plus and the other pharmaceutical grade supplements available on Prevenex.com now. And don't forget, save 15% with code RUNEXP. It's R-U-N-E-X-P. It's also a challenge too when we have, obviously, a lot of social media, Strava, Instagram, TikTok, you know, people are sharing their training. We're seeing what other runners are doing, we're seeing what professional runners are doing, we're seeing what our favorite sub-elite neighborhood runners are doing. And I don't, I mean, by and large, I tend to notice that people who do post about their workouts typically post the good ones, right? Which I understand. They're excited. They're like, yeah, I maybe had a hard stretch here and then I finally nailed this workout and I feel so good. But that gives the impression, and I know I've talked about, you know, the the social media lens and the highlight reel before we've talked about this as well. That gives the impression that all these other people are only having good workouts and you're the only one having average workouts. And that's simply not true. But when you're comparing yourself to this false image of what other people are doing, of course, you're going to be left disappointed in that. Yeah. And, you know, I think, and sometimes people do, you know, they may post a workout they're not excited about and, you know, it might be like nine out of 10 reps they passed and then one red dot that shows like they, and they missed one and they, you know, their quote is I failed the workout. And so like, it's all messaging. Right. And so I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's, you know, I think sometimes people are afraid to share their failed workouts because it comes off as complaining or like, you know, uh, you know, a woe is me. And, and, it's so, but like, you know, your messaging around it doesn't have to be fake positive. It doesn't have to be toxic positivity. It has to be, hey, I did a workout today and here's my splits. And I ran, you know, I ran the best of my ability, right? That can be something that's positive that's taken from, you know, sort of your workout and, you know, be something you can really kind of go forward with versus like, you know, thinking that everyone is nailing all their workouts. You know, I, I one, I, when I did ran my best marathon, I, missed most of the paces and most of my workouts and it was okay because I was gaining fitness each week and I was in the range I had never been before and then I went out ran faster than I even thought I could right and so it was just a lot of it comes from like you know believing in yourself right and so believing that by doing my best it means something and so when comparing to others it try not to right try to acknowledge that just if other people are having great workouts that's great if they don't share their bad ones, you know, they don't have to make the assumption that no one has bad workouts. Everyone has bad workouts and, and bad is relative. It's really 
people have lots of average workouts that are good parts and bad parts. And I think really just trying to acknowledge that, as we all keep saying, Instagram is, you know, a highlight reel, um, you know, and people like to see the good. So that's what gets thrown to you, right? And I don't know, I somehow believe the algorithm knows what we're going through and then it shows us exactly what we don't want in those moments, which is when I throw my phone across the room. But, you know, it's something to be said that I'm clicking on the things I don't want to see too, so the algorithm learns me, but AI. Um, so I digress, but yes, the idea that um, the, the highlight reel of Instagram, just take it in with a grain of salt and know that you are, if you're showing up, you're getting faster and you know we're all on our own path and we're all going towards our destination and we will get there at a different time someone else may get to point a much faster than us and start after us and we may doubt everything and then we may get to point b before them because they hit their barrier and our barrier was somewhere else and so just acknowledging that you can see people's workouts, you can be excited for them, you can acknowledge your own and what happened, and it all can be part of the journey. Something I've seen, or I guess I've noticed more of recently, is that uh, when a runner who is faster post something about, I didn't, you know, I, I raced and it didn't really go well, you know, <laughs> lived to survive another day, you know, I, I had this workout and it, I kind of bombed it, you know, here are my splits, that sometimes there's a lot of feedback from the social media community around the, well, gee, you're way faster on your bad days than I'll ever be on my best day. And that makes me so sad for everybody involved <laughs> on both sides of that equation. It makes me sad that I that the the runner can't feel like they can be honest and express their emotions about what they're going through. Like you said, this is all relative. Like, you know, if Elliot Kipchoge has a bad workout, he's still going to be way faster than I will ever run. It doesn't mean he didn't have a bad day and that isn't real and something that he's really feeling. But on the flip side, for me to then come in and say, that must be nice to be so fast all the time. Like, that's not helpful for the person who's saying that either, because I feel like there's a there is a hint of like self denigration in that too, where it's like they're, it's not like they're, they're, they don't have faith in their own abilities or confidence in their own abilities as well. So just that, those things make me sad when I see them. <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah, I have. And I think, you know, having that confidence in yourself is such an important factor, right? Because the less you do, the more easily you judge and perceive what other people are saying as negative or as something detrimental to you in some way when it's not right and so you know it it i think faster runners sub elites whatever you want to call them they, they want to share right they want to share their journey and they're sharing it trying to be in a meaningful way and yes their splits are faster and that's okay it's just a number in the end right it doesn't mean anything right there's so many factors to someone's running journey how long they've been running genetics what the what capability they have to give to running right like something we constantly ignore when judging other people's running is well someone has more time and availability to running and that's okay like we're we're operating in the confines of our own life and that goes back to my point about we'll get to where we're going to go when it's right you know we're exactly where we need to be right now and you know i think sometimes it does come off across like you know 
I think we just need to sort of acknowledge, like, if other people posting the numbers, it doesn't, it's their numbers for their workouts, right? And it's their numbers for them to chase their progress. And, you know, to earlier, they may have been at other numbers many years ago, and they were working through that, and now they're here, and maybe one day you'll be faster. But, you know, worrying about how someone's workouts numbers are too fast, like, that's just another piece of the white noise that we don't really need to associate with ourselves because all it does is, you know, in in some ways, either mentally or, you know, physically in our next workout, show up to kind of harm our journey, right? And harm our progress. And I'll even say this doesn't necessarily need to be something that you are seeing somebody else do. For anybody who's been running for long enough, you'll know that you go through these kind of peaks and valleys of your own performance. And I've struggled a lot, you know, my recent, uh, my recent running with trying not to compare myself to where I was a couple of years ago when I was objectively faster. And it's, it's so much, it's so much freer and freeing for me to run workouts now and not have that voice in the back of my head saying, yeah, but three years ago, this was your X pace. And now it's your Y pace. It's like, that's so not helpful, right? Because like you said, you know, by and large, we are doing the best that we can on any given day. And as long as you're doing your best, the, what you have to give on that day, that's something you should always be proud of. Yeah. And it's, you know, your point, I, similar thing with me when I took eight years off after college coming back, like my life was different and I constantly wanted to be, and, you know, this goes back to us being our own harshest critics. Like, you know, comparing to others is one thing, comparing to ourselves, like we will always destroy ourselves much worse. And, you know, so when we come back and compare, it's really hard to not get discouraged. And what do we do when we get discouraged, right? So we, oh, I'm going to train like I used to. I'm going to overdo it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to run those paces no matter what. And maybe we don't finish workouts. Maybe we, you know, start the workout on the right pace and then fade at the end. Maybe we feel tired all the time, exhausted, burn out. Like that's what we do when we want to be somewhere where we're not, right? We just, when we rush our journey, when we want to get back, when we compare to older versions of ourselves. And so, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know. I think the easiest thing to remember at running is, muscle memory exists, right? And so it is much easier to get back to a fitness level you once did than it is to create new fitness, right? So it, if you're worried whether you'll get back, keep showing up and keep, you know, keep each week, keep kind of doing what we talked about, those B quality workouts, not where you used to be, not where you think the numbers need to be, just where you're at. And the more you do that and the more accept you accept where you're at, the quicker you'll get back to where you once were versus the more you obsess about where you were and those numbers and those paces, the harder and slower it will take. And I know that from absolute experience of how slow it took me to get back when I was 30 years old, you know, trying to get back to where I was in college versus when I finally accepted, this is where you are, train here, and then started actually getting faster. A question I get a lot is about what we've been talking about, right? But if I want to run, if I'm trying to hit these goals, if I am trying to run these paces, why do I train slower than that? Why do I run easy on easy days? Why can't I run goal pace all the time? If, you know, Molly Marathoner over here is running my goal pace, why can't I copy her workouts? Why, why can't I just do what she's doing to get me to where I want to go? 
Yeah, and you know, I think that's the other thing that happens when we kind of start running is we look to someone else and we want to copy their training, right? And so it's one thing to do workouts that other people do. You know, maybe they're not the right workouts for you. Maybe they're too hard. That's okay. I mean, that's one part, but feeling like whatever someone else is doing training-wise, numbers-wise, miles per week-wise is not part of training, right? It's it's just you comparing, right? Ultimately, it's your not belief in yourself that doing what's right for you, doing what feels good works, and instead you're worried that because someone else is doing more than you and they're at the same range as you, that you're not doing enough, right? It's our constant always need to feel like we need to do more. And, you know, someone else's journey has absolutely nothing to do with yours. You know, when I ran my PR, I finished and there were people around me who ran double the mileage per week that I did. Um, and it didn't matter, right? Because we both ran the same time that day. And you know, that training worked for me. I, I had a kid, I had another one on the way. My life was very different at that time. So I couldn't do what I might've done before. So when we look at other people, like you don't need to necessarily say, someone's doing this workout, you know, they're around the range as me, I need to do that, I need to run those paces. If that's not coming to you in a long run, then don't force it, right? I think so often we're trying to force things and, and you hear it, you see it in runners, oh, I did this workout, but it was so hard and I, I died at the end and then I ran the last, you know, four cool down miles dragging, right? Like, so it probably means you may have ran too hard, right? And that, you we can slow down a little bit. You know, I think tempo pace is the best one, right? Like. I look at, when I explain tempo pace, it's a pace you can maintain for an hour. So, you know, if I give someone a 20 minute tempo run and they finish and they're like laying on the ground, they're telling me, oh, I couldn't run another step, you know, I, but I did it. I say, okay, well, we it's an hour pace. So you really had to do that three more times today. So that's the effort I want you to do. If that means slowing down, slow down. It doesn't mean that the tempo isn't a number, right? It's a pace you could maintain for 60 minutes. Some people it's a half marathon and some people it's a 10K. So, you know, that means whatever we're at, let's run in the right range and let's feel that effort. And that also means that a different day, our effort's gonna be a little different. You know, if I'm, if I, even if I'm running the right number, but I'm dying, I just slow down because of that day. And so when we stay where we're at, when we stay within control of ourselves, and I, I love talking effort because it's something, you know, your heart rate data can get skewed. I mean, you can get it more accurate by wearing a chest strap and other things, but like you always know effort because effort's going to tell you how you feel in heat and humidity and everything. And, and you can just hone in. So the more you learn that, the better you are at training, the better you'll be able to hone in, the better you'll be able to race day because on race day, ultimately effort is the end of all, right? Because most people aren't staring at their watch for 26 miles they really need to make sure they don't go out too hard. They need to make sure they know how they're feeling. They need to make sure to know how to maintain. And so you learn that in practice, right? And so, you know, I always say this, but in the end, workouts are about gaining fitness, not proving it, right? And so don't go into your workouts trying to prove it. Go into your workouts as what they are, training, right? Training runs. You're training to get better. You're training to learn your efforts. You're training to take in more fuel. You're training to do everything. So on that one day, that race day, you can go do that race and you can go you know, take that deposit of fitness and go run to the best of your ability. There's a, I, it's funny how, and I'll be curious to see this as you, sometimes I feel like when I work, you know, working with my athletes privately, 
there's always seems to be like a theme of every season where like, a, you know, we'll have a, a couple of runners who are kind of going through the same thing, right? Have the same types of questions or the same journey. And for this, this fall training cycle, you know, training up leading into fall, I think for, for <laughs> though they don't know it, um, this is kind of the, the season of le- telling everybody to take pace and heart rate off their watches during workouts. <laughs> <laughs> this was the season of, okay, yeah, let's work on your pacing. Let's work, but let's have you not look at your pace at all. Like you said, like, you know, you don't look at your pace. I'm like, look, I want you to remove that data screen entirely from your watch. Because if you can't trust your, if you are going to continue to check your watch every 30 seconds to make sure you're quote unquote on pace for the workout, that's not teaching you anything. That's not actually building your confidence. That could be taking away from your confidence because if you if you need to look at your watch for confidence like that's not actually teaching you the skill of confidence in pacing or in holding that effort and it's really scary for i mean everybody's been really amenable to it like we're all doing it it's all going really well but that's a huge like okay but how do i know how fast i'm running i'm like you don't that's the whole point <laughs> yeah and you know dead on about that and and you know when you really look at you know when you I, I removing those barriers is super important because ultimately you know some people have that beeping watch on the Garmin right and so it beeps when you slow down and speed up you're actually exhausting more energy because in most cases people are trying to get into that range Garmin deems appropriate right I don't know what it is it's probably five percent error I'd, I'd have to look it up but whatever Garmin deems is acceptable to stop beeping. It, then they're in that range. That means they're slowing up, you know, five minute rep. They may slow up, speed down, slow up, speed down. Slow up. That's going to feel so hard. Like when you're constantly changing paces just to hit the number, like, yes, if you were going too fast, it may be a harder rep, but maybe you're feeling fine a little bit over that pace on that day. Go with it. But you'll learn more about yourself. And to you said confidence, like you will be more confident in yourself the more you can do this without a watch telling you. Because ultimately our watch is not our friend, right? It's the only things our watch are gonna tell us is, oh, I'm on pace. And we're gonna go, oh my God, I feel too tired, I'm on pace. Or we're, you know, too fast. I'll never be able to hold up. Um, I need to slow down or too slow. Oh my God, I'm the worst runner ever. Why does this feel so hard, right? We don't look at our watch usually and get a ton of positive feedback. We look at it and go, oh, exactly, I'm on pace and I feel great. This is the best day. Like, It's always kind of just showing us, you know, why we think, right? And why we're not good. And, you know, so that belief, right? The times I've asked athletes to go run a workout and like not take splits or maybe like do a couple miles at marathon pace and not even look. And then like come back and send me a message and say, you know, how'd you think the workout went? And they'll be like, oh, you know, I think it went okay. I was probably a little slow. And then I said, okay, well, send me their text after you look at your splits. And they'll come back and be like, oh my God, I hit all my splits. Like, and you know, I didn't think I was that close. And I'm like, I know. Because like, you're capable of doing these things. You're capable of so much more than your mind will let you, than the watch will tell you you're capable of, you know? And when you add all this noise and you take all these barriers and keep adding, and keep adding all this anxiety around this sport that there's so much mental baggage in that you make it so hard you make it impossible and you know when we can just run and feel how much confidence my runners get when they do a workout and they didn't look at their watch and they ran the splits that that flows with them for the next three weeks four weeks of workouts they're on fire they're feeling great nothing can break their stride and you know even if that day they were a little slow they still would have felt great because their immediate feedback to me was like, oh, I was a little slow, but you know, I felt okay. 
So, so even in their mind, like they were already like, well, I think I'm slow because that's what we think. And they were there. And if they're fast, they're even more excited. So no matter what, like you, you can run those paces, you can run those ranges, just get out of your way. Oftentimes we are encouraged implicitly, explicitly to set very specific goals. And I know sometimes it's one of the, Hey, what are you trying? What are you aiming for? Like, what's your goal for this race? And oftentimes I see runners be hyper rigid in how they set and chase goals to the exclusion of listening, like you said, to kind of any of the other feedback that their body might be telling them. Um, and that's a real problem, but how do we encourage our runners to chase their goals in a way that is not hyper rigid? Yeah. And you know, one of the things I like to talk to runners about goals is I dream big. It's great. Like have big goals that they, they're motivating, they're fun, you know, but also throw them away and forget about them and just go work. Right. And so, you know, I try and let athletes think of like, if they've been running for a while, I kind of go back and say, Hey, you know what, how, think of how much you can progress in the next three years, like versus like the next race, which is, you know, usually four months away. Um, or think of how far you've come in the last three years, like, and think of like how big you can dream and how much you can dream. If we just look at this as like a longer term thing, we're going to have races along the way. We can have other goals along the way, but you know, when we, go out to the big picture, it really gives us so much of an ability to accept workouts as workouts. If it's, you know, a race is in three months, every workout is, you know, live or die. This, this is going to prove whether I'm good enough, this is going to prove my goal or not. But if that goal is, if we're thinking three years, a workout on a random workout today doesn't mean much. It's just another, you know, cog in the wheel. It's just another brick. I don't want to use that phrase. Everyone uses it, but it's just another like, you know, thing we've done to help us progress. Right. And so, the other part of goals is ultimately, like we talked earlier, like we'll run a PR and then the immediate thing is, okay, our next goal is another PR. And maybe it's a different race distance if, you know, sometimes runners like, but also it's usually just another marathon. And, but like when it's just goals, then we're never satisfied, right? Because we just want another one. We just want our faster time. So how do we set goals, you know, steps, whatever we want to call it along the way to encourage us to chase the goals, right? You know, there's little things we can do. There's little things we can be excited about along the way. Maybe we've run a big week of mileage. Maybe we've been consistent for a month. Maybe we've never run, you know, and again, mileage is just another number, but like, as long as we're doing it in a positive way, it's not like we're just doing a hundred miles in a week because it's three digits instead of two. Um, you know, as long as we're finding things along the way to enjoy, then we're progressing. Like little things I like to athletes is maybe they're solo runners who've never done a group run. Maybe go to a group run every Sunday for the next month you're getting faster because you're doing group runs, you're trying it out and maybe you're exciting and maybe you're enjoying running with other people. It's a goal that moves you forward and it's a goal that like moves you in different ways. Like it's taking little things out that we can be excited about along the way that can also push us towards our goal where it's not just hyper-focused on whatever pace that we have written on our wall and our, you know, our, our bathroom mirror that says this number and that, that we have to achieve it. Like, how do we get away from that? And how do we sort of start finding things that excite us that we can check off along the way that we can really help us forget about that number, right? Because that number, will, if we keep training and we keep putting in the work, we're going to move closer to that number. 
And then, you know, on race day, we can go chase it. But all lost, all the rest of the time, if we start getting caught up on it, and it always happens in the taper, right? It always happens. As soon as the taper hits, athletes start becoming a little more hyper-focused. Uh, okay, well, now it's, I know the number. Every run, I'm feeling it out. You know, I we're just really getting caught in that anxiety. Sometimes three weeks out, two weeks out, everything sort of puts us on high that wouldn't have, you know, if we got hurt earlier in the training block or if we missed a workout earlier in the training block, which we wouldn't care about. So find things along the way to really help you move forward in your journey in an exciting way um, that's meaningful to you too, right? And then as you keep chasing towards that goal, you'll keep getting closer. And then just think of each training block as, you know, closer to that bigger goal you have down the road that's too scary to even say, but it can be because it's three years away. And like so far, you can progress so much if we just keep doing the work week after week towards that goal. I want to talk more about uh, comparing yourself or say copying other runners, because we've talked about, you know, let's say you have this specific goal and you're looking at somebody who's achieved that goal and maybe you're not too far off, but they've already done it. And so you are tempted to kind of copy what they're doing. But I want to talk about the situation that I think we sometimes find ourselves in, in that maybe you're a runner who's looking at what somebody who is very fast is doing. Um, you know, maybe not a professional runner, although they might be, but somebody who is definitely in that sub elite category, maybe they are, you know, close to running an OTQ marathon time or faster, you know, somebody who is objectively like, yeah, they are dang fast. Um, and they probably always have been for the most part. Um, what, and I ask you this because you are somebody who is dang fast. You have very speedy race times. And I wanted to ask your opinion about, you know, the things that people who are very gifted, who've put in the work for sure, the hard work for years and years and years to get to where they are, but people who are very fast and the trouble that normal runners, right? might find themselves in as they look to the advice or the things that these very fast runners are doing in their own training. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I learned, you know, I had a big PR in 2018. And so uh, one of the things I learned when I started coaching people was uh, what I did and what worked for me doesn't necessarily work for my athletes, you know, and some of my athletes are as fast as me, a little slower than me. And they might do more mileage than me. They might do harder workouts than me. And they might do slower workouts than me. It, uh, my race results don't change. And so I think too often what happens is when someone, you know, runs a certain time, they start thinking, well, this is the, uh, I did this. This is the way to success. And instead of giving their advice as this is what worked for me, you know, Instagram has become the tool to, you know, market yourself. So you're, you're always teaching and you're giving your advice as, almost scientific sometimes without any science behind it as it's really just experience share your experience right i did this this is how i got faster but it doesn't necessarily mean that anyone else needs to copy what i did right and doesn't mean to mean if you do what i do you're not going to be as successful as me you probably won't either make it or maybe you'll have bad races or you know it your training needs to be reflective on what works for you. And you know that. You always know what's right for you. And the only time we don't know is when we see other people's stuff and then we start thinking, oh, well, maybe mine's not good enough. You know, maybe I need more. And, you know, I, 
the other part of it, right, it's genetics, right? So some people are genetically gifted. They maybe don't get hurt as much as others. They can handle more mileage. They can handle more mileage on a day. You know, double threshold workouts are something that's talked about a lot and definitely not for everyone. But some people do 12 miles of threshold work, two workouts on a, on a random day and in a 22 mile day. It's not for everyone, right? And so the just because someone can do that doesn't mean, okay, well, I don't want this to become the new fad workout, but like this doesn't mean everyone should just do double threshold workouts. There's scientific benefit for them, but only within certain reasons. So when you see what other runners are doing, like take it as cool, like that's their experience. I'm doing what's right for me, but it's not, it shouldn't be given as, you know, proof that because this worked for so-and-so, it works for everyone. Um, you know, it. I, I am someone who can't run a lot of, long marathon pace, long tempos. It's just not in, I'm a very, you know, fast twitch runner. Um, I can, fast twitch is relative, fast twitch for an endurance athlete. Um, but I don't handle that stuff well. So I'm never near what I should be at, but give me shorter stuff and I do great in it. But a lot of marathoners excel at that other stuff. So I work in the confines that works for me. But again, I, if I gave someone a lot of inter interval work who wants to run what I ran, they probably would not be able to handle it as well. So there's so many variables. It's really take people's experiences as cool. That's what they're doing. That's worked for them. Um, but it doesn't, I don't have to copy it. I don't have to control C, copy paste that into my training log and do it. Because again, you're an individual person and every coach will train you individually to you, right? Because that's what you need and that's what's best for you. I think that individualization piece about, you know, physiology kind of gets lost sometimes because yeah, we say like your training should be reflective of you and your goals and your schedule and all those things. But like you said, it all should be, should be reflective of your strengths and your weaknesses and what you can and cannot handle. Like I actually, I'm similar to you. I, I don't enjoy a lot of like t crap ton, huge, heavy, moderate load workouts. Like I, when I've ran my best marathons, I've actually done very little marathon pace work in those cycles, but I've done the speed work that I was doing was basically threshold or slightly faster. Um, marathon pace in high volumes burns me out, but I work with several runners who can take marathon pace all day long and every twice on Sundays. Like they are just built for that moderate pace. But when we are looking at, especially comparing that way, kind of what the, the average, the everyday, I'll say runner is doing, if we then translate, well, but this runner who's running a 245 marathon and they're doing 16 miles at marathon pace, I'm like, yeah, but their marathon pace is much faster than somebody who's running a 345. And so that also gets lost in the translation too, where if you look at how much time these faster runners are actually spending running. Yeah, they're covering more volume because they're faster, right? But the time spent might be able to translate to what somebody else would be appropriate for somebody else, but only time on feet, not actual miles covered. And that's, I think, a huge kind of second part of that, why you can't just copy what somebody else is doing. I remember reading Running with the Buffaloes uh, that, you know, uh, following the, uh, uh, Boulder team around for a year when they uh, won the uh, championship in the 90s. And it was fascinating reading this going, yeah, they go out for like an 80 go, they go out for like 75 minutes, cover like, you know, 13 miles. Like it was like, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's not, that's not, that's going to be so foreign to most 
everyday runners, right? To say, yeah, I just ran for 75 minutes. Yeah, I ran about 12 miles. Like what? I can run for 75 minutes, but I'm definitely not going to cover 12 miles. And I think that's also one of the things that we we really don't understand when it's like if you are, you can't compare apples to oranges when it comes to the volume and type of training because of these differences as well. Yeah. My, so my little two cents on that. No, you're right. And, you know, two little points. So running with the buffaloes, I read that book. I loved it. Interestingly enough, two of the people, they were like freshmen or sophomores on the team. I raced a bunch in high school. Like one was like in the town over for mine and then another one I raced a lot and they both like absolutely destroyed me. But reading their story at college was like quite fun having lived racing them in high school. Um, and then to, you know, to your point about like, you know, what we know works for us. Right. And so you another chart is like, you know, that doesn't mean for me, I only do interval work. Right. It means I do the other work. Right. And because it's harder for me, like the thing I'm good at shouldn't be the thing I constantly only do. If you're great at long runs and marathon pace, maybe you do need to do some interval work, like not all, but like working on your weaknesses is an important part of running, just realizing that it is harder for you. So to the same point, like if I do marathon pace, I need to accept that like I won't run as well as a better, you know, someone who's more inclined to do endurance work. Uh, but me doing it and getting better at it is a bigger gain for me than that person constantly doing the thing they're already super good at over and over and over again. I love that. I There's uh, something I read once where it was, you know, train your weaknesses, but race your strengths. You know, so it's like oftentimes, and I see this on a bunch of runners, one of the things I ask when I'm working with runners, you know, tell me the types of workouts that you like to do. And usually it's, you know, so I love intervals. I love speed. You know, people have very strong opinions. I love, I love tempo. I love that moderate, hard. Yeah. I love that pace. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Tell me about this other type of workout. Like, ah, yeah, I don't really do those. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, well, guess what's (laughs) going to be showing up on your schedule soon. Um, because it also is, you know, it is that that feedback loop that feels like it's serving us well, right? We we want to feel good about the things that we're doing. So if we do the things we're good at, we're going to continue to feel good about them. But like you said, we're then probably missing a part of that development, but also not gaining the confidence and the skill to do the things that maybe we aren't so good at and learn to become better at them. Yeah, there's a lot of gain there, but it's just how will you, making sure you mentally don't then beat yourself up because it's not good enough, right? Obviously, you know it is a weakness. So we, our weakness doesn't need to be as strong as our strength, right? But it needs to be something we continue to work at. And we know when we're doing it and doing it in the right ranges and the right way, we're getting faster and faster because that's how you get faster is fix is helping your weaknesses get better. I'm going to ask you a, a delicate question. Um, I run into this because sometimes of uh, the the paces that I have run, right? My PRs, my marathon PR is a 333, right? Faster than some, slower than others. I am an average size person, right? I do not have very low body fat. I've never had visible abs. Yet I consider myself a relatively knowledgeable running coach. And yet sometimes I feel like I am swimming upstream against other people who are um, less experienced, but look a certain way or have run much faster times than I have. And I think this is a problem in the in the health and fitness industry in general, that we equate uh, what somebody looks like or what somebody has been able to accomplish personally with experience and knowledge. Um, it's not to say that people who look a certain way and run certain times aren't also incredibly knowledgeable, but we can't automatically assume that, that, that somebody's body is 
their business card and means that they are qualified. Yeah. It's literally the one thing I hate the most in the running community is that like gating, right? Like, you know, I've heard from many people who've started running businesses or other things and running coaching businesses and like be told, oh, well, you've never broken three or BQ'd. How could you tell me how, anything about running? How could you give me strength advice? How could you give me running advice? You know, I, I can't, I don't tell people my PRs because I don't want anyone to assume because I happen to have some genetics and run a fast time at some point that I'm knowledgeable. I want people to assume I'm a good coach because I am supportive and caring and listening and have knowledge towards running. But like, also remember, like, just because we think, just because we saw someone run fast doesn't make them a good coach. Coaching isn't really about the numbers in a log. It isn't about the workouts. It isn't about, you know, the perfect workout training plan. It doesn't exist. Like, you know, I tell my runners sometimes, like if I gave you like some professional coach's plan and you ran it perfectly and you don't believe in it because you don't believe you're capable of doing what the plan said you could do, that's not going to matter if this perfect plan, you didn't believe you could do it. So now you're not going to do it. You're going to do what you can believe in. Coaching is helping people believe in themselves as much as we believe in them, right? And so that doesn't have anything to do with how fast you can move your legs, how good your genetics are, how you know hard you train to run great times. It has to do with how you can, you know, connect with people, you know, establish a one-on-one relationship and be there for them and let them know that if they dream, as we said, so big and reach for the stars and fall, you're going to catch them and you're going to build them back up. And you know, I hate that. The community sometimes jumps in people's law, you know, post and goes, oh, well, your PR is this. So, you know, you can't tell us what to do or like, who, like, who are you to know that anyway? And be like knowledge is knowledge. We learn it like we learn from conversations with others. We I don't take anyone's information as like bad. I, I listen to it. And if it works in my life or my confines or helps me become a better coach, then I'll listen to it. But, you know, I think just because someone has some fancy numbers in their bio and they also say running coach doesn't mean we should just jump at them because you as a runner you are you deserve someone who is as invested in you as you are in them that's what coaching is it isn't prs it isn't big numbers that's for that own person's individual journey they can celebrate that there but you know what i find is a lot of faster runners you know then train people the way they train themselves and in some cases, burn people out because as we talked to earlier, that isn't always the right training. And, you know, if we don't take the time to get to know someone and spend that time instead of just throwing some athlete to the fire, you know, and saying they're not motivated enough because they're not doing everything that you do, well, again, that is not coaching, right? So I think we just when you look for coaches, find people that just like you, a therapist or anything in your life, find someone who's a good fit for you. If someone's giving knowledge with running, don't disregard it because they haven't achieved a good time, air quotes, a time you feel that is worthy of someone to give knowledge, which is a ridiculous statement in itself, but you know, it does exist out there. So to me, running coaching is, you know, is anyone can be a running coach if you care, if you take the time to learn, if you listen to athletes, if you support them. I don't care what your PR is. Um, I've seen many people coach people much faster than them, including myself at this point. So, you know, that is, that's fine, right? And so let's stop getting people, making people feel bad about them pursuing their passion because they haven't run a fast time. 
I will also say that some of the most legendary coaches in running history were not really great runners. <laughs> like Canova and Co- Coach Joe Vigil, right? Like these, you know, and obviously I think the trend now more is to have more of these player manager, like a lot of the more, uh, you know, high level coaches that we see, like I'm talking about, you know, college coaches and professional coaches who are running, you know, uh, uh, elite teams, they tend to have been relatively high level runners themselves, but that's not always and hasn't historically been the case. Um, I have also noticed, and here's the thing, like you said, genetics play, play a huge factor in what somebody is capable of doing. And I've, I've tended to notice in my experience as a coach is that people who have a very high level of natural talent can get away with a lot of, I'm going to say, not great practices in their own training without it affecting them as much as somebody who's maybe a little bit less talented genetically, because they just have that much greater kind of bandwidth and tolerance to handle more stuff, including stuff that is mistakes like running too fast on easy days or doing too much speed work or like doing a lot of like fasted training or not eating enough in general. And it just seems to take longer for those things to catch up with them versus somebody who maybe did not win the genetic lottery and really has to pay more attention to this stuff and do it correctly from the beginning. And I think that's really interesting. It's just something that I've observed and just, it's obviously not, I don't have any research to back this up, but I have, I have noticed that. And I think it's interesting. Yeah, you know, and you see it in Instagram too, right? So sometimes, you know, people are doing things that seem, you know, they're they're running a lot of miles, they're doing things they've never done, they're running a lot of workouts, a lot of races, fast times, and, and you know, really diving all in, and then all of a sudden they disappear for two years, and then they come back and they're like, oh, you know, injury, stress fracture, this and that, burned out. So, you know, again, since if we're going to view Instagram as this picture, right, you have to understand that, like, things happen to things do catch up right like when you trial by fire for too long you always get burned right maybe you last one training block two training blocks three you'll always get burned and you'll keep doing it right because when you survive the fire the first time you think you're invincible right and so i can do it again i can do it again until eventually it tears you apart right and so you know yeah it it, it is it is a delicate balance it is hard sometimes when you are PRing to say, okay, I did what I wanted to do. I'm going to take my break. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to train, you know, get back to base training. I'm going to do the little things. And it's easier just to keep, you know, grinding out for more because, you know, I think ultimately in our minds it is, I've never been here before. I'll never get back. So let's take advantage of it now. Um, you know, and so that's the wrong idea. You you can always get back to where you are. And ultimately, if you look at training and you've seen pictures, like the ideal training approach is you do a training block and you, you know, get a little faster each time. You go to a race, you run a, you know, you run a race, hopefully you run a PR, you stop, your block goes down a little bit. And then the idea is that you start your next training block higher than you started your train, previous training block. And if you keep doing that, every block you're starting a little higher even if you don't run a PR you can still start the next block higher and you're always training and that's how you're getting faster ultimately not just because you never stop training and you just keep racing and racing forever and ever until something breaks 
So what are the things I know we've kind of talked about being careful about, you know, who you're, who you're listening to and where you're getting your information from. And, um, but here's the thing. I mean, I think there is also a lot of stuff that we can learn from runners who tend to be at the front of the pack and runners who are breaking the tape. Um, I, and I'll, I'll go first, but something that I have noticed amongst the fastest runners that I know is that they are in this for the long haul. And we're talking years and decades. The runners who I've seen really be committed to the process of getting faster over the long term, they are they're talking about when I started this journey 15 years ago, I was here and now I'm here. And I think that that's something that gets lost in the translation. Sometimes we talk all the time about like this doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. You need consistency, blah, 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 blah. But in some cases, it is years and years and years and years. And that's the timeline that we should really be looking at. Like if that's, if your goal is to get faster, to improve yourself as a runner, like see how far you can go. It is, it is not, I gave it 18 months and nothing really happened. It is how many, how many years do I have left? Right. I have all the years. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think a couple things too, right. I think a lot of people don't because professionals or sub elites run times that are so fast, right? A lot of people see that and they go, oh my God, they're training so fast. Like what's lost in the sauce is that most times they're training at a level slower than their marathon pace, you know, in that nice LT1 range, building that aerobic base. But the number is so crazy fast that we just think, oh my God, like, you know, 540 pace, that's incredible. You know, that's like 230, 228 pace, right? And that's really, really fast. But when people are running, you know, two low 20 marathons or you know it's not really that's not moving the needle like we would think at our level like oh my god i'm not running marathon pace or faster i'm not getting faster right and they're doing it but they're doing a lot of it right and you can do a lot more of that training than you can do faster than marathon pace or closing moving into threshold pace or half marathon pace so the more you can do at that pace and the more you and, and it's doing it right like building a base and then using it right as opposed to like you know pushing that too hard early on and having no base to use when you need to train harder. The other thing is like, you know, for me, the biggest change for me in running is, you know, I ran in high school, I ran collegially in, you know, in a D1 school and I burned out, right? Real hard. I really got obsessed with the numbers. Like I really got in my head all the time. I lost all the joy. And then I took a long break and I came back and I tried to recreate that, right? Well, if I want to get, because all I knew is competitive running. Like my career started with eight years of competitive running. And then when I came back, like, what did I know? I knew competitive running. So back in it. So I tried to reconnect that type of thinking like, okay, well, this is how it has to be. I have to be this into it, this crazy, this numbers, this and that slowed me down. And then when I finally started just having that balance and joy of like life and experiences and journey and like enjoying it, enjoying for what it was worth and doing the training in a meaningful way with others or with myself or having fun and like taking, you know, taking life along with running, not stopping life for running, the faster I got, right? Because I was taking so many of that, you know, those barriers out of my mind. I was taking so many of those things that were slowing me down even at a young age like but to your point like i could make mistakes as a 20 year old i i was you know genetically blessed i was i couldn't get i don't get injured as a 20 year old like you know my fueling was oatmeal cream pies um you know so like for all those things it was like you know those were things i could get by with at that time it wasn't ideal um but you know now 
if I have if I don't get enough rest or you know my fuel before a you know big meal of a night is an oatmeal cream pie, my run's probably going to suffer. But you know, so it's being able to find a meaningful way to chase your journey. And for me, this was it, right? It doesn't have to be the same for everyone. Your meaningful way needs to be reflective to you. The professionals have it, right? And these people who are in this for the long haul aren't like out here grinding PR or, or, you know, or ER, which is a phrase I've heard, which is ridiculous, but like, you know, aren't out here like, you know, that into it where that will destroy them if something happens they are training and they know they're doing their best and they know they might have a bad race um you know and that's okay because they're gonna get back at it and keep grinding because ultimately they're tied to this sport for many other reasons than that right forgetting the professional part of like having to perform leaving that out but like the rest of it is they're enjoying it they love it they have fun with it they balance it even in the confines of their own life I think another th- something else that we can look to what some of the elite professional vendors are doing is that, you know, they can they can still take pride and be excited about strong performances that aren't PRs. And I think it's something that everyday runners can really learn from. And I'll use the example of Kira D'Amato in Budapest, and she finished 17th or 19th. Like she, you know, was way off her PR of 219 in the marathon. You know, but she talked about how proud she was of like gutting it out and and being there. You know, I don't think, although it probably wasn't the race that she wanted, she didn't turn around and start this pity party about losing fitness and woe is me. I'm going backwards and my life sucks and what am I doing? Right. It's, but I think a lot of regular runners, right, if they're 10 minutes off their PR, they're going to freak out <laughs> and start catastrophizing. And it, like, I think we need to stop putting so much emphasis on individual performances, like you said, and really about, it is about the journey. It is about the joy of the journey. And you can also want to achieve these goals, but those shouldn't rule your life. Yeah. And that was the hardest thing, right? As someone who started the sport, eight years of competitiveness, came back, tried to be competitive again, you know, it's balancing being competitive and caring, right? And so competitiveness is still a part of me all these years later, but you know, how do I balance that with this joy of the journey with this not obsession over having to PR or having to place in a certain number in a race or things like that, that drove me insane early on. And like, how do you have both? Right. And that's the hardest thing. People come from other sports where they're competitive. People come from different spots, you know, old college runners who've taken many years off and become parents and came back into running. They all struggle with it because finding that balance, it feels like you know, in both sides, right? Like someone who's come to the sport with no competitiveness, it's hard to be competitive, right? And like, I'm not here to race, I'm just racing myself and that's okay. But like balancing the caring of the PRs because you everyone has an, an idea of what they want with also not, you know, doing too much or not going too much into it where it crushes you if you don't have it. Like you can have a bad performance and still be proud of yourself for trying, right? You, maybe you ran the second half of the race hard. Maybe you worked through hard conditions. Maybe you had stomach issues the whole race and you wanted to drop out and you didn't. That's not reflective in the time on the clock. And that's why we can't be defined by a clock. We're defined by what we do during the race, by the effort we put out, by what we can find in it that is motivating and exciting and proud of ourselves about, right? The growth is finding more times to be proud of yourself. I think too often runners wait until they get a PR 
or something significant to take the moment to be proud of themselves. You can be proud of yourselves for so much. And one of the best things you can do is be proud of yourself because it helps, um, you know, set your mind right at that moment. Because if we wait until we PR to be proud of ourselves and then we don't PR, everything we just did, we're not proud of. We think it wasn't good enough. It wasn't okay. It wasn't right. And so now we have to wait until the next PR until we're proud. Hell no. Like then we're going to start this spiral of always being upset. So no, we need to take time. We need to be proud in the journey itself. And then we can be proud of even our bad performances. If, because they're in those moments are things to be proud of. There is every, every race we do, every workout, every training block, there are moments to be proud of. You can find them or you can pretend they don't exist. You should not do the latter. You should definitely do the former and do more of that. Oh my God. So well said. Absolutely brilliant. I would a hundred percent agree. And everybody's going to have to hear that. Oh, fabulous. Nick, thank you so much for being here today and having another wonderful conversation. So if we were to sum up what every runner should know, I'd say beware of the comparison trap, right? Don't copy what faster runners are doing just because they're faster. Slow down on your easy runs, even if you're slower than what the faster runners are doing on their easy runs. That's a huge one. I want to I want to emphasize that again because these all see this all the time. You have somebody who runs like a 250 marathon and they're running, you know, saying, "Oh my god, I took it so slow on my recovery run. I'm running 8:30 pace," and somebody's saying, "My my easy run is 12 minute pace," and then everybody freaks out. Pace is relative, right? Don't worry about it, and be proud of yourself for who and where you are currently. Like I think it's so important. And especially as we head into this fall race cycle, I know that the weather might not cooperate for a lot of people, but that doesn't mean that your race cycle like didn't count. It doesn't mean it didn't work. It doesn't mean it wasn't worth it. It doesn't mean you didn't get fitter. It just means that, hey, the weather gods frowned on you today, right? But you can still be proud of what you're going to accomplish. Yep, exactly. And I think um, you summed it up perfectly. Thanks again for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And um, I always enjoy our talks. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.